Hey everybody and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. This is Pastor James and we are starting Matthew 28 today and we're finally out of the sad part of Jesus being beaten and crucified and and his suffering and his death and today we move on to the resurrection and a little happier part of the story and uh, we're going to talk about why this part of the story is so crucial to our faith and to our eternal life. And um, as we read this together today, I just want to encourage you guys to uh, just think about what this should mean to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And uh, if you haven't really committed yourself, today is going to be a great day um, for us to read this together and uh, maybe kind of get you to the point where you're ready to give your life to Christ. So let's read Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10. And uh, we'll talk a little bit. So it says, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said he would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly to the, from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. <clears throat> Alrighty. So let's talk about uh, the Sunday morning aspect of this passage. Um, you have to understand that when you're talking about this time frame, many people have a hard time connecting the dots of Jesus being dead for three days. And that's mainly because we're looking at it from like a Western perspective of time. And the understanding of time for uh, the Hebrew people was very different than ours. And so um, so when you look at Jesus, I mean, he was crucified on Friday. And he was about 9 a.m. He was put on the cross. We know that he was dead around 3 p.m. And he was taken off the cross and put in the tomb on Friday afternoon, which would have been the first day. Um, now, the odd thing about Hebrew time is that the next day actually starts as soon as there is no light in the sky for that night. So on Friday night, once the sun started going down, once you could no longer see daylight in the sky, they actually considered Saturday to start. So for us, we consider 12 a.m. the starting of a new day. But for the Hebrew people, as soon as the, the sunlight can no longer be seen in the sky... That is the new day. So, it would have been our Friday night, but it would have been their Saturday morning. And so, Saturday was the Sabbath, and nothing could be done on that day. And so, there was a lot of things that um, that, that happened in the crucifixion that wasn't always normal. Um, first of all, they didn't like to; uh, they didn't want to leave the bodies on the crosses because it was Passover season. So they took the bodies down because of that. A lot of times the bodies would have been left on the crosses until, um, you know, the families could talk or pay enough money to get the bodies off the cross. But this time uh, they wanted the bodies down. So uh, the Joseph uh, from Arimathea was able to get the body. He prepared it. 
Some of the other people helped him, uh, but they had to quit because as soon as it got dark and there was no longer daylight in the sky, it was the Sabbath. And if they were preparing this body on the Sabbath, it would have been considered work and they would have been breaking that Sabbath law. So he's, he's dead Friday night or Friday afternoon and then um, all day Saturday. And so as soon as the sun went down on Saturday... And it, there, it was darkness and there was no light in the sky. That would have been considered Sunday. And so for the third day, Jesus would have been dead. Now, for us, when we say, oh, Jesus was dead for three days, we just assume that he was dead for three whole days. Like we would just automatically assume that for three whole days he was dead. But for the Hebrew people, if he would have been dead for five minutes on Friday, that would have been considered a day. They always round up like that is the day. And so for him to say that he was dead for three days, Jesus was dead for three days according to his culture and his custom during that time. And uh, that's pretty that's pretty important for us to know because if you're sitting around and you're trying to figure out, okay, how is Jesus dead three days, but he was only dead Friday and Saturday and then he was resurrected on Sunday, that doesn't make sense. Well, according to the Hebrew timeline, it makes very much sense. But according to our timeline, it doesn't. So just wanted to kind of give you guys that information. I feel like that's pretty important. If anyone was to ask any questions or try to make you doubt that you have a good answer for that, that the Hebrew concept of time is the main reason why we get to cling to that three days of Jesus being in the grave. So on Sunday morning, when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb, um, they weren't just going to pay their respects. you, you got to remember that they were going to finish the burial preparations uh, because they were cut short due to the Sabbath law, according to Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Like We know that in the book of Luke. Luke is a little more detailed in his writing than Matthew is. Uh, and that's because they're trying to communicate different messages through their Gospels. But... Um, so when these women, when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary show up, they were fully expecting to just go to the tomb. Um, probably the guards were going to help them roll the stone aside and finish the whole process of preparing Jesus' body for burial. And uh, it still humors me to a small extent that the religious leaders fully remember Jesus saying that he was going to be resurrected from the dead. But all of the followers of Jesus did not even seem to have it in their mind at all that Jesus, hey, we might show up and Jesus might be resurrected just like he said he would be a hundred times. The religious leaders knew it. They remembered it. But the followers of Jesus just did not, it did not sink in and register with them. And that's just always a little humorous to me. And it really makes me wonder sometimes about how many times we hear God's word or hear God's voice or feel God pressing on our lives and we just it just doesn't register and we don't take it into consideration. Now, as we talk about this process of the women coming to the tomb, the order of events described in this gospel is very important. And I want you to see this because um, the way that it happens is very affirming to the way that we we should believe in Christ and have faith in him. So first of all, when they when these women got to the tomb, the guards were still there, they were still awake, and the stone was still in its place and the stone was sealed. It was still sealed shut. And it says, but then there was a great earthquake. And if you read the passage, like, and we have the NLT version, 
It says, suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down. But if you read it and you just change that word for um, to, uh, then there was a great earthquake because an angel of the Lord appeared and rolled aside the stone. The earthquake didn't happen and then there was just this angel. But the way that it reads, if you actually read it the right way, it makes it sound like the angel may have caused the earthquake because he rolled the stone aside. Or or it could just be that there was another earthquake because when Jesus died on the cross, there was a great earthquake and tombs split open and rocks split apart and um, the veil in the temple was torn. So the fact that there was an earthquake was very much plausible. And at the same time, the fact that this angel might be rolling aside this enormous stone could have caused the earth to shake. So uh, either way, um, there's an earthquake, and it seems to be due to the fact that the angel appeared and the stone was being rolled away. Um, now, the earthquake is only mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, which is kind of interesting. You know, when you read all these Gospels, for some reason, some things are included in some, others not. And, and for whatever reason, this is the only one where we, we get an account of the earthquake taking place. But the guards were who were still there, and they were on duty. It says they were frightened so much that they fainted, and they fell down as if they were dead. And the angel sat on the stone, and he spoke to the women. And, and now this is super important because you have to realize that the, the guards were on duty. So when the women showed up to the tomb, the guards were still on duty. The stone was still in its place. There was no way for Jesus' body not to be in there. It would not have made any sense whatsoever. So the fact that they get there, they see everything in its proper, proper place, and then the angel appeared, and then the stone was moved, and the earthquake and all that stuff, and then they see the angel sitting on the, earth, on the stone, and then he starts speaking to the women, don't be afraid, you're looking for Jesus, he isn't here, he's risen from the dead. And the angel says, come and see where his body laid. And so the women are actually able to look in the tomb to, to see um, the fact that Jesus' body is not there. And, and what's amazing about this is, is that they saw the tomb sealed and shut, and then they saw the tomb as it was open, so if, there was no way for Jesus to get out within the physical laws of the world that we understand, there was no way for Jesus to get out of that tomb. But thank God, we serve a Savior who is beyond the laws of physical nature, and He can do things like escape, or not escape, but remove Himself from a tomb that would have been impossible for any of us to do, but He was able to do. Now, the next thing is that as soon as these women see that Jesus is not there, <clears throat> and that he is resurrected, the angel charges them. All right, he, he tells them, go and tell the disciples. Now, anytime you see people experiencing the grace and mercy of Jesus, there's an important aspect of that that we, uh, we need to understand is that we are charged to go and tell others about what has happened. Um, when I got saved... And, and and especially whenever I had a, a very uh, significant spiritual moment in my life at a youth camp that summer, um, there was a couple people in my life who were very instrumental in discipling me, and they told me that when I went back to school, that I needed, first of all, I needed to go home, and I needed to tell my family what had happened. And then whenever I went back to school, I needed to tell my friends and my teammates and everything what had happened 
that summer. And I didn't really understand why that was so important, but whenever I told my family, and then I went and told my teammates that following week at summer workouts, and I told my friends at school, it very much solidified what happened in my life. It affirmed that I said, this is what happened to me, this is how I feel, And people very much treated me differently from that point on. Some of them treated me differently because they were already saved and they affirmed that in my life. And others, especially most of the people I talked to and I associated with were not saved because I wasn't saved. And so whenever I told them that, they very much treated me differently in negative ways, avoiding me, ignoring me, things like that, because... They did not understand where I was coming from in saying that. But anytime people have an experience with Christ or with God, we're called to go and and tell others. And and you notice that these women have this great experience at the tomb, and they were called to go and tell others. Now, they were frightened, but they're also filled with joy. But they do what they were told to do, so they go to tell. And they are going to tell the disciples as they're on the way to tell. Jesus meets them along the way and reaffirms what the angel had charged them to do. And he says, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and I will meet them there. And so here's the thing. The women do what they were told to do and Jesus met them on the way and affirmed for them to still go do what they were told to do in the beginning. And so if the disciples will do what Mary and the other Mary tells them to do, then Jesus has already promised to meet them in Galilee and he's going to meet them there. And this is very much a reciprocating relationship with God between obedience and continual fellowship with him and you have to notice this and you have to cling to this in your life when we do as we are commanded to do it's promised that we will be met along the way to be renewed rejuvenated and encouraged in that calling and so i just want to say that because so many times we associate callings with Oh, well, he's called to ministry, or he's called to missions, or she's called to to do this, or she's called to... And we associate these callings with these very specific things. But in truth, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we are all called to be disciples of Christ. We're all called to go. We're all called to tell the world what Christ has done in our hearts. And, And if we're willing to go... There's a promise and an understanding that as we go and as we follow him, that that God will meet us along the way and he will affirm this calling in our life to go and tell others. He will strengthen us, rejuvenate us, and fellowship with us along the way. It's a it's a very much a reciprocating relationship that uh, we need to maintain throughout the course of our life as we serve God. Now, As we finish up this passage, I really want to talk about why the resurrection of Jesus is so important to our faith. Um, And you have to remember in chapter 27 how we talked about no one was even questioning whether or not Jesus was dead. Everyone knew Jesus was dead. I mean, he had been beaten so badly. I mean, he had lost so much blood. I mean, and we didn't get the account of his, his side being pierced with the spear and the water and the blood rushing out of his lungs, you know, like we didn't get every single aspect because Matthew left out a lot of detail in his gospel. 
as far as the crucifixion goes. But but there was so much stuff that happened in the course of Friday before he was even put on the cross that no one would even question whether or not Jesus was dead. Even the religious leaders, they were not worried about him being alive. They were worried that someone was going to come and steal his body. So think about this. Let's look back at times in Scripture where people have been raised from the dead. So you look at the widow's son who was raised from the dead in 1 Kings chapter 17 by Elijah. Then in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha raised the Shunammite's woman's son back, back to life from the dead. There was another man who was raised to life when the grave diggers uh, was going to uh, bury him, and they act, they they were there was a band of raiders coming, and they were afraid, so they threw his body into the tomb of Elisha, who was already dead at the time. And when the man's body touched Elisha's bones, his body came back to life. Um, and, and that was to me that's crazy um, to think about that. Now Jesus. In the, in the Gospels, we see where Jesus raised a widow's son back to life in Luke chapter 7. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter back to life in Luke chapter 8. Jesus raised Lazarus back to life in John chapter 11. And we also saw um, in Matthew 27 where many saints were raised to life when Jesus was crucified and they appeared to many in Jerusalem after he was resurrected. And then Peter raises Tabitha back to life in Acts 9. And Paul raises Eutychus back to life in Acts chapter 20. And I'm telling you all this because the point is is that life after death was not as rare as what we think it should be. I mean, when you think about a lot of the things that we believe in Scripture, um, there are a lot of things that we really cling to that doesn't have as many accounts as what this does. The fact that there were people who were dead and that they were brought back to life. There's several accounts of that from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's very much affirmed in Scripture that life after death is possible and that it was a little more prevalent than what we kind of give it consideration sometimes. And the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the grave and that all these others were resurrected from the grave should give each of us hope that when we die and our physical bodies are laid to rest in a grave that it's not the end. There is life after death. And as we read all of these accounts, it should give us hope and joy to think that one day we too will get to share in the resurrection of Christ, that that we get to live again. And, and you know, all these people that I told you about who were raised back to life in the Bible, you know, they were raised back to life for a short amount of time, for a temporary amount of time. Every single one of those people eventually died again, and then their bodies were buried, and they, they've been laid to rest since. But the thing is, is that Jesus was raised to life eternally. You know, Jesus, his body was not laid to rest again. Jesus was, was risen. He, he rose to heaven, and he dwells in eternity. So the fact that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and we'll talk about him uh, ascending to heaven later on, uh, but it's so important to realize that the fact that Jesus lived after dying gives us hope that we too can live after dying. Now, the only problem with this is that we have to be willing to share in his death 
if we want to share in his resurrection. Um, and that's talked about throughout Scripture. Jesus says, if you want, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. If you give your life up for me, you'll find it. We should pick up our cross and follow Jesus, that, that we have to die to ourselves in order to live with Christ. And so if we want to share in the resurrection of Christ, we have to be willing to share in his death as well. And so um, you got to die to yourself so that you can be resurrected with Christ when that day comes. And that's so important for us to remember. Okay, let's read verses 11 through 15, and we'll probably stop right here for today. It says, As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. And they told the soldiers, You must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say, and their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. So as we're finishing up, I don't know about you guys, but the religious leaders just never cease to amaze me. Even until the very end, as the soldiers reported what happened, the religious leaders are still in denial. I mean, think about the earthquakes, the dead saints coming back to life, the veil in the temple being torn, you know, darkness covering the land during the resurrection. And now the Roman soldiers have come and they've testified that, uh, you know, this angel appeared and, and rolled aside the stone and that Jesus' body was not in the tomb whenever the stone was being rolled away. Even with all of this, the religious leaders are still willing to go against Jesus being the Messiah. And they're still willing to break God's law. And they're bribing these soldiers to give false testimony. They're, they're guilty of bribing and they're, they're making somebody else give false testimony. And so they were deceitful and manipulative in every way. And it didn't really matter because the story of, the, of these guards and these soldiers, it spread anyways. And it's still told like... The religious leaders really didn't do anything but condemn themselves in this whole process. And the people of Israel saw each time something was done, each time they made a decision to do this, the people of Israel saw how corrupt these religious leaders were. And and they were very willing to break the law that they were so harsh and strict with the people on. Like they held the people to the harshest and strictest expectations, but when it came to them, they were very much willing to break it and and go against it and sin against the Lord in that. So it, uh, it it's very amazing to me how they could still continue to go against this and not follow um, in with the Lord's plan and the Lord's will in this process. But anyway... When you look at it, it's no surprise that the story is changed and distorted. Um, you know, when you think about God working and moving and trying to, you know, save the world from its sins to give people eternal life, well, Satan is very much fighting against that. Satan does not want people to have eternal life. Satan wants people to be destroyed with him, and he is constantly fighting against God until God finally destroys him for eternity. And Satan is the god of lies. He's the god of deceit. Even in the garden, he deceived Eve and said, "Did God really say this?" You know, he took the story, he he took the law, and he distorted it 
And he changed it. And this is what you see the religious leaders doing. They're taking the story, they're changing it, they're distorting it. And the greatest tactic of Satan is to cause us to doubt. If he can take the story, and if he can change it and cause us to be deceived, then he can cause us to doubt. And think about it. It is by faith that we are saved, and it's by faith that we are made righteous, and it's by faith that our works lead others to Christ, and it's by faith that our witness leads others to Christ. And if Satan can make us doubt, if he can, if he can shake our faith, then he can greatly hinder the message of the gospel from being spread to other people and uh, this, the power of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit being brought into people's lives. And he can greatly hinder people experiencing that if he can cause us to doubt. So as we close out today, I just want to challenge you. Cling to your faith. It is the most important thing. And if you struggle with faith, if you struggle with believing, it's not a matter of you just all of a sudden finding it one day. It's about being humble enough to say, Okay, God, my faith is weak. For whatever reason, I doubt. For whatever reason, I, I have a really hard time believing this and, and really stepping out on faith and doing things and doing what you call me to do. Well, I'm challenging you today to say, God, I know that I doubt. I know that my faith is weak. Help me to have faith. Help my faith to grow. God, I want to have faith. I don't have it, but I want it. So God, help me to have faith in you. And that's a prayer that we need to be crying out daily, even for people who have great faith, to say, God, help me to have more faith. Help me to have greater faith in you. Help me to have faith that can move them out. Help me to have faith that can see people get saved, because that's the kind of faith that Christ has called to have. That's the kind of faith that saves, and that's the kind of faith that makes us righteous in the eyes of God. All right, let's pray together. I'll let you go. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day and for the opportunity to get together and to read your word and to read the good part of the of the story of, of the sacrifice of Jesus, the fact that he was raised back to life and the fact that he can live after dying. And Lord, it wasn't the fact that someone else raised him from the dead. Every other account in Scripture that we read about, someone else raised someone else from the dead. But Jesus raised himself from the dead. Lord, the fact that he is God, the fact that that no one came to the tomb, no one performed a miracle, that he was in there and he was dead and he brought himself back to life. Lord, that's something that only God can do. And that's why we can trust and have faith today that he is God, that he is the sacrifice for our sins, that there is life after death. And we can cling to that and make that uh, such an incredible part of our testimony and our faith in Jesus Christ. We love you today and we thank you for everything. We ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you, and uh, we'll see you soon.